Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting today to over 60 countries. We're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard, which is in the middle of the third most important centre in the world for entrepreneurs, startups, angels, VCs, incubators, Silicon Beach in Los Angeles, California. This is where technology and entertainment intersect. And I want to thank you all for listening and making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. I really appreciate it. My incredible technology development of the week goes to two researchers, Zoo and Todorov, who have designed a robotic hand that not only looks like a human hand, but also moves exactly like one. Due to their complex and delicate features, human hands have always been a real challenge to replicate in the robotics field. Lots of people have tried. But this new robotic hand's been designed around replica human hand bones. So they got a skeleton, skeleton hand and then used 3D printers to print the bones and connected them. And then they replicated hand muscles with a combination of fingertip sensors, artificial tendons and joints. It moves exactly like a real hand. It can hold big objects and small objects. It's an extraordinary breakthrough that will really change lives. So Zoo and Todorov, congratulations. That's fantastic. We love it. Now, I don't know if you like me, but Everyone wanting to pursue a business career or commence a startup heads straight to a program like this one, sits there and takes notes, or heads to their local bookshop, or goes online to Amazon and begins to read business books written by various so called experts. At the moment, there are 135 million books published 135 million books have been published so the problem is that every person has got limited business experience and often people with no business experience at all sit there and write a business book i have rooms full of business books thousands of them and while i've read excerpts from many of them there are a large number that have barely been opened there are conflicting opinions on just about everything when, with regards to what to do in various business situations. So how the hell do you know who you should listen to, what books you should read? So, you know, I have business executives and young entrepreneurs regularly ask me what books I would recommend they get. You know, when you're struggling to grow your business, the last thing you want to do is to spend thousands of dollars on business books, most of which are next to bloody useless. So I thought to today I'd recommend 10 books that every business professional, every entrepreneur, 
and every graduate straight out of college should read before they enter the business world. Good idea. Great. Glad you like it. Get out your pen, your pad, and jot down these titles. The first book is What Colour Is Your Parachute by Richard Bowles. This is a practical manual for job hunters and career changes and is the best-selling job hunting book in the world. According to Time magazine, it is one of the best-selling non-fiction books of all time. Now, this great book covers a little about everything. In the very first chapter, Bowles writes, in today's world, he or she who gets hired is not necessarily the one who can do that job best, but the one who knows the most about how to get hired. And the first half of the book talks about how to create an eye-catching resume and cover letter, as well as how to improve your networking, interviewing and negotiating skills while the second half focuses on how to find your ideal career. The second book that's a must-read is Never Eat Alone and Other Secrets to Success, One Relationship at a Time by Keith Ferrazzi. That's F-E-R-R-A-Z-Z-I. This book's about using relationships to reach success. In other words, it's about who you know, not what you know. Farazi's a master networker and he talks about how he used connections to get into Yale for his undergraduate degree, Harvard for his MBA, and later to land a number of top executive positions. Farazi claims that networking is the difference between average and super successful people. He lays out his exact steps for reaching out to people in his network, as well as networking tips from the most well-connected individuals in the political and business world. It's a great book. The third recommendation is Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Cialdini. The Journal of Marketing Research says that for marketers, it is the most important book written in the last 10 years. So no matter what field you're in, you need to know how to get others to agree with you and to help you out. You know, we're, we're now in a society where we need to collaborate, where we need a team around us. No longer do you go and do it on your own, not that probably you ever have. But um, this book will teach you how to make people say yes. Not only does this book teach you how to become a powerful negotiator, it also teaches you how to resist one if you come up against one and find yourself weakening at the knees. The next book, which is a must-read for everybody in business, is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I think everybody that I know has got a copy of this. It's a great book. They've produced 25 million copies of Seven Habits, which provides powerful lessons in personal change. Covey's condensed the behaviours of effective people into seven habits that everyone should develop if they want to become more successful, such as being more proactive, beginning with the end in mind, always trying to reach a win-win agreement, which too many people don't try to do. The fifth must-read book for anyone in business is Outliers, The Story of Success by Malcolm Gladwell, another 
genius in business. This number one national bestseller sets out how the brightest, best, or most successful people get to where they are today. I've just received a brand new cup of coffee. looks beautiful, so I'm going to have a sip. That slurping sound you heard was me having a sip of coffee. The sixth must-read book for business entrepreneurs is The Startup of You by Reid Hoffman. Now, as you probably know, Reid Hoffman's the co-founder of LinkedIn and uh, Ben Kaznotcha. This book shows you how to adapt to the future, invest in yourself and transform your career by following lessons from Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. Now, the authors claim that each professional should see themselves as a startup business. So just regard yourself as a startup business that you're in charge of managing. So in order to best grow your own brand, you have to network, invest in yourself, and I guess most importantly, take risks. Just like the famed Silicon Valley startup founders have. If you don't take risks, you get nowhere. You know, um, and so I don't mean take foolish risks, but take, you know, well-considered risks. Do your research, do your homework, and uh, then decide what you can um, what you can risk. Don't be afraid of failing. Now, for anyone who's just joined us, what we're doing is we're discussing the 10 must-have books for business executives, entrepreneurs, and those business-driven individuals who are just leaving college. So the seventh must-read book is Secrets of Hiring Manager Turned Career Coach by Linda Quast, Q-U-A-S-T, which is a foolproof guide to getting the job you want every time. Lisa argues that her simple job searching tactics have worked 100% of the time with her clients. So it's supposed to be, I guess, like having your own career coach without the expense of having your own personal career coach. And it's targeted at everyone from young professionals looking for your first gig to mid-level professions looking to switch careers to senior executives. Recommendation number eight is A Whole New Mind by Daniel Pink, which is described by Tom Peters, a business legend, as completely original and profound. If you're an artist, an inventor, a storyteller, or any other kind of right-brain thinker, this is good news. Pink says that the future belongs to people like you and me. Forget a world that's beginning to have an abundance of knowledge workers like doctors and lawyers and accountants and all that boring lot. According to Pink, the future belongs to we clever, intelligent, witty, funny and creative right-brain thinkers. Apple co-founder and former CEO Steve Jobs once said that this book deeply influenced him. The book is How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton M. Christensen. Its purpose is to help readers start again. Its purpose is to help readers find a path which will lead to their personal fulfillment. 
It's also intended to challenge you to spend your time and money on things that are most important to you. The 10th recommendation is the money book for the young, fabulous and broke by Susie Orman. I can't stand watching this woman on television. For some reason, she really, really irritates me. In fact, drives me bonkers. But she's written a hell of a book. And you can't knock her success. She's got seven New York Times bestsellers and and she's a two-time Emmy Award-winning television host. So what do I know? I guess it proves that my taste's in my ass, but... Who knows? But she wrote this book to teach recent graduates about the basics of financial literacy. And it's really critically important that if you're in business, you know more about more than just about your product or whatever it is that you are promoting and um, really know how the financial system works and understand um business it's really interesting when you get out into a crowd of a thousand business people and you say who here can read a business plan you get about half a hand you know if you're in business any sort of business you should be able to read a business plan uh, a um, financial statements and balance sheets you've got to be able to read them it's all about money you know business might be to some degree, about your product. But after all, if you don't make any money, you haven't got a business. So money and control of it is the most important part, really, in a lot of ways of having a business. So this is essential reading, the money book for the young, fabulous and broke. It's essential reading for young professionals who are part of Generation Broke but who still have a chance to be financially stable if they manage their paychecks the right way and invest their money the right way. Now, it'd be remiss of me not to mention a book that Tim Draper, the Silicon Valley venture capitalist, the uh, creator of viral marketing and founder and managing director of Draper Fisher Jurvetson, said... He said, this book demystifies all that is sacred in business and marketing. If you read it, they will come. Pretty good rap. Alfonso Ribeiras from Real Madrid, which is one of the world's most fabulous sports teams and worth billions of dollars, said, this is an amazing book with many challenging concepts and conclusions regarding new marketing how to market, and the tools you should use in the globalised market. This practical book will get you thinking. It shows you that you can achieve it all if you begin today. There are only a couple of the amazing recommendations that my last best-selling book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, received. It's a 270-page how-to book that's guaranteed to make any business successful. Anybody in business or starting out in business should give it a read. Now, there's a bit of self-plug for you, but it's a 
bloody good book, even if I do so so myself. It took me about seven years to write it. And it did extremely well globally. Now, if you're a regular listener to this program, you'll know that I was recently appointed the Honorary President of the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management, which is the premier organisation for business in the US. So if you're serious about improving your skill level, your status and your network, you should join today. Apart from being able to put the initials AISMM after your name and receiving a great plaque for your foyer or boardroom, there's a wealth of the latest information, complete business audits, webinars, and there's a 26-person advisory board with reputation and skill that rivals any other on the planet. It's a fantastic organisation. So um, go to AISMM, that's the Australian Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management, .us. That's A-I-S-M-M dot U-S and join now. You can get advice 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year from some of the top people on the planet, all for one relatively small joining fee that's a couple of cups of coffee a day. And my guest today is Dave McLaughlin, He's CEO and founder of Buddy Platform. That's Buddy, B-U-D-D-Y Platform one of the world's first data aggregation and management platforms for Internet of Things and all connected devices. Now, prior to founding Buddy, David spent 11 years at Microsoft. He was a technology partner network advisor for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and currently serves as a mentor for several incubators. Apart from that, he's one hell of a nice guy. I like him a lot. And I'll be back with Dave immediately after this break on the Voice America Business Channel. And I'm sure you'll like him a lot too. Talk to you soon. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show, where over the past five years, we've given you insights into the lives of over 
somewhere between 250 and 300 of the world's most interesting business people, what they do, what uh, obstacles they faced, and what makes them tick. You know, it's very difficult to create a successful business. It's really hard, and particularly um, if you're an underfunded entrepreneur, you've got to wear something like 15 hats and have them all work to be successful. So it's, um, as I stress on this show over and over again, it's important that you surround yourself with mentors, both personally and in business, and also bring qualified, experienced people into your company, either in a management role or a board or advisory role, and uh, don't think they're going to send you broke. So many successful business people are happy to come on board and help you and uh, you worry about giving them some stock or something somewhere down the line so don't don't be afraid to pick up the phone and make the approach and everybody in business you know faces the same challenges everybody thinks that they're going to release their product and people are going to beat a path to their door and uh, it's interesting that Harvard says that the reason that 95% plus of businesses fail is because of lack of business expertise by the entrepreneurs. And only 11% of business CEOs have any business training whatsoever after they leave college, if they finish college. So um, if you don't have the knowledge of all the aspects that go into making a successful business, you're probably going to fail. Now, Dave McLaughlin is the CEO and co-founder of Buddy Platform, one of the world's first data aggregation and management platforms for the Internet of Things and connected devices. We've often spoken on the program about the Internet of Things. Now, prior to founding Buddy, David spent 11 years at Microsoft, where he led business development for Microsoft's Zune hardware business. And he spent many years in Windows division. David's also the co-founder of TV Interact, which developed software for on-air TV talent to curate and display social media in real time. And it was acquired in 2014, no doubt for a hefty penny. That's why he can afford to live in a huge mansion in Seattle. He's also served as a technology partner network advisor for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and currently serves as a mentor for the Australian incubator. I'm not sure how to pronounce this. I think it's Innoviz Start. He's also advisor to Washington, D.C.-based Minolto and Melbourne-based Blue Dot Innovation. Hi, David. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. How are you, Bob? Great to be here. I'm really good. So do you really live in a big mansion in Seattle? <laughs> no, I, I live very modestly. <laughs> <laughs> so what is Buddy and where is it headquartered? So Buddy is a company that provides a data platform to manage, process and query the data that's generated by the growing masses of Internet of Things devices. Right. Um, and we can talk more about what that means, but you know, devices that are connected, 
that may be anything from an appliance through to a light switch right up to a connected car or any of those sorts of uh, products. Uh, they all generate data. There's a tremendous volume of data that is generated across these categories of devices around the world, and we provide a mechanism and a tool to let people get value out of that data. Uh, and we're headquartered here in sunny Seattle. Sunny, sunny Seattle. So you've obviously got a sense of humour. Um, <laughs> bloody Seattle. Every time I go to Seattle, it rains. And may, maybe I'm just unlucky, but jeez. Um, it, it's pretty wet these, these days, but summers here are gorgeous. That, that's the, the highlight of Seattle. Yeah, that, that must be a great week. Um, <laughs> About three, actually, but yeah. <laughs> so what information can you get from a connected toaster, for example? Well, it's actually important to realize that the way this works is we're not pulling data out of devices. The devices are sending data to us. And that's a, that's a really big distinction because I think you know, a lot of people would be freaked out if they thought that there was some you know, all-seeing eye that was pulling data out of devices in their home. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The devices, or indeed the manufacturer of devices, elect to send certain types of data back for, for processing, and that data, in the case of let's say a connected um, toaster, might be uh, you know the the um, firmware build, the software that's running on the device, uh, it might be how often it's used, uh, any errors or problems with it. Um, if a filament is broken, for example, or failed, that device could potentially tell the manufacturer that there's a problem. They could then look across all you know 300,000 toasters they've sold and identify that there's a particular problem across their manufacturing and then go and fix that uh, midstream. So there's a, a tremendous amount of data that can be captured. Um, and it's typically associated, at least for our customers, with the use of the device and how the device is functioning more than the particular you know, uh, personal data that the device might be, might be interacting with. Right. I would have thought that in something as mundane and relatively cheap as a toaster, the technology that could be um, implanted in that device wouldn't be very sophisticated, would it? You know, it's actually the case where it doesn't need to be that sophisticated anymore. When you've got the ability to do pretty complex processing in the cloud, um, the connectivity itself is actually pretty cheap. You know, the, the silicon required to uh, make a toaster Wi-Fi uh, enabled, for example, actually isn't terribly expensive. And when you think of what a company that may make toasters spends on researching their customers, researching the market, you know, they buy reports from all the retailers on how many they've sold and how they're performing, um, actually it can be very cost competitive to instead make those devices connected you can give customers some value there. You can say, hey, control your toaster from your phone or you know, have your toaster send you a notification if you've left it on uh, for more than a certain period of time. So there's, there's value that the customer can get. And then at the same time, you're able to measure just how your devices are performing right through from manufacture through to the life, uh, the, you know, the use life of the product. So is this information, once you've sorted it out, is that available simply to the manufacturers of that toaster or is it like most industries where any competitor can go and buy information about every toaster? So I think it's certainly going to get to that point. I mean, the, the Internet of Things industry is very, very nascent right now. And so I think there's a, a, a bunch of learnings that companies have to do to figure out 
you know, who uh, owns the data and, and, you know, just what can they do with it and, and what, what's the value proposition for it. So right now it's, you know, devices that are made by a certain manufacturer generating data that is provided back to that manufacturer. Right. But we certainly see a future where not only can that data be provided to the manufacturer but to other organizations. And in fact, we even see a world, you know, some years down the road where you as the toaster owner may say, hey, I'd like to participate in, in this transaction. And yes, I'm happy to share my toaster data with my insurance company uh, in exchange for a few dollars off my insurance policy for the house, for example. So we're definitely you know, trending in that direction. Okay, so how, how did you come across um, this business? I mean, how did you work out that... Um, <clears throat> this was a, a business opportunity. You sort of do the, wow, at three o'clock in the morning, you spring out of bed and you scribble notes on the pad next to your bed and bingo, you got a business. Yeah, I'd love to claim that I was that smart, but, um, you know, the reality is that, and, and, you know, we can joke about this, but, you know, this, this wasn't even a thing, you know, five years ago when I left Microsoft, right? So, you know, there I was at one of the great technology companies of the world leaving to start a company. And the industry in which we participate today didn't even exist at that point. I mean, it's just sure. incredible the pace at which the, you know, the industry is moving. Now, what happened was we were actually a back-end data provider for mobile applications. So exactly what we're doing today, but for mobile apps. So think of your iPhone or your Android phone or Windows phone. Um, and we were getting data in from a, a you know, whole bunch of, of apps out there, and a customer came to us with a connected car that was running Android and that had a, a cellular or a mobile connection in the car. So it was basically a huge Android phone on wheels. Right. And we said, yep, we can work with that, and we started getting that data in from the engine and from around the car. We started getting things like windshield wiper settings and number of butts in seats and oil temperature and oil viscosity and engine temperature and outside temperature and ambient light levels and you know, 160 different data points from around the car. And we realized that this was a vastly different set of data and structure of data than what a phone would ordinarily send you. And we realized that what if it wasn't just cars that were connected, but literally everything in the house or office, you know, the doors, sure. the lights, the light switches, the heating, the cooling, and you name it. Yep. And we said, wow, that's the opportunity. That's, that's what we're missing. Uh, nobody at the time was, was thinking along the lines of how do you manage and, and it's one thing to store the data, but how do you get value out of it? Um, and so we said, okay, that's the product we have to build. And we were, you know, three parts there with the mobile product. So we then, uh, you know, evolved and built the product out to support the Internet of Things, which of course now is our primary focus. Was that a regular car or was that a special car? No, that was a regular Detroit manufactured vehicle. Because, uh, uh, you know, I was marketing director for Formula One for a while, way, way, way back, and uh, there was only about 220-odd data points on a Formula One car that was sending stuff up to the um, satellites and having it analysed. So you're telling me that the regular Detroit vehicle's not that far behind where Formula One was at that stage? Uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, if you look at the the sort of connected cars, and, and by the way, it doesn't have to even have to be connected cars. Most, if not all, modern cars are capturing in the order of you know 120 to 180 data points per vehicle. Quite often, as frequently as every you know between five and 30 seconds. 
um, that data might be stored locally and uh, downloaded by the dealer when you go in for a service. Yep. All that the connected car is doing is just making it available in real time, uploading it to the cloud as it's generated. So, but yeah, that volume of data absolutely is, uh, uh, is, is what you're seeing on modern cars today, for sure. It's amazing. I'm really surprised. Um, so why did you up for an avert, a reverse merger? Um, and why did you list with the Australian Stock Exchange instead of raising capital in Silicon Valley or Silicon Beach or somewhere else or, in or, or anywhere in between where there's loads of money yeah well your, your listeners may benefit from a, a quick background which was we actually were uh, venture backed uh, originally so we uh, started the company in 2011 um, we raised venture capital from Seattle from uh, Silicon Valley uh, from parts of Asia and Australia uh, and in fact even Microsoft was an investor in the company in the early days um, what happened though How was as we raise? went, just well, we raised about yeah, we raised a little over three million US dollars. Okay, um, and we're in the process, which, which by the way, you know, back in when we started the company was you know a modest or reasonable sized Series A. Sure. Now you know these days that that probably wouldn't even qualify for a Series A. That's more of a, a seed, you know, large seed round. Yeah. Um, and so as we were doing our sort of formal Series A, and we got a couple of term sheets in we had a look at what was going on in Australia. And uh, what we noticed was there was a growing number of US-based companies, and certainly companies in general, but certainly US-based companies, that were listing on the Australian Securities Exchange, the ASX, yep. as a means of raising capital. And the short version of the history here is that the ASX um, and a lot of the companies that are on the ASX are in fact shell companies that were former mining companies or um, companies that are no longer in active business, but yeah. still listed and traded and so forth, um, that were looking to, to uh, you know, the existing shareholders were looking to get out, the uh, the shell itself was looking sure. to become a new company. Sure. And so rather than having to go through the, you know, sort of fundraising process in the States, the uh, we were able to consider, we, right, uh, we were looking, we were able to go through a process that allowed us to list in Australia. Now, of course, it was a nice coincidence that I am Australian. Uh, we did have some Australian customers, so that helped. But at the end of the day, the terms that we were able to conduct that deal uh, with versus the terms we were being offered in the U.S. were vastly different. And the reason is that in the U.S., when you raise venture capital, typically you are dealing with folks that are offering more than just money. They're offering you know, their network and introductions and connections and so forth. Yep. Um, we were already a pretty well-connected company. We had a very, very strong board. We had uh, you know, prominent Silicon Valley investors on the board, both board of, of directors as well as board of advisors. Uh, and so we didn't need those extra connections or didn't need to pay for those extra connections. Right. Uh, and the, the amount that we were able to raise and the sort of dilution that we were able to take as a company uh, was such that it was a vastly better deal to do it um, in Australia. So we did. Uh, we've kept the Australian company, obviously, and, and we've grown the team, but uh, we've managed to do this uh, with the support of investors on the ASX. The, to be able to do that, you need to be a reasonable, well, modest, but reasonable comp reasonable size company, um, don't you? Because I have, um, I have companies call me or entrepreneurs call me, <coughs> excuse me, almost daily that have arrived here from Australia saying, mate, you can't raise a dime in Australia. And uh, so they come here 
and most of them have some success. So, you, you yeah, know. I mean, there's, there's a lot of money, as, you, as you'd be aware, uh, you know, in the venture industry here in the, U, in the U.S., whether it be on the West Coast where we are uh, or on the East Coast, you know, primarily out of New York and Boston and so forth. Sure. Um, Australia does not have that same VC industry. You know, the availability of capital for the smaller you know, seed stage and Series A stage companies is just not there. Um, this process, though, is becoming more and more popular in Australia, uh, and more and more companies are taking advantage of it. So I wouldn't be surprised to see this sort of become the the, the early stage VC model in Australia. Um, but I can tell you that, you know, certainly for us, with all the connections we had and all the opportunities we had and the term sheets we saw, uh, the deal we took in Australia was certainly by far and away a much better deal for us and for shareholders. And I think uh, that that's proven itself to be the case, you know, um, now with you know, a quarter and a bit beyond the transaction. Okay, so where's the office in Australia? In Sydney? No, actually it's in Adelaide, which is the capital city of a state called South Australia, as you'd well know. Yeah, and um, <laughs> just for those who are listening, Adelaide is a tiny little town. It's got about... 850,000 people, I think. More people leave than go there. It's full of churches. And uh, I staged a Formula One there once, and uh, the biggest movement was people saying, we don't want the noise interrupting our church services on Sunday. <laughs> well, Bob, so, it sounds like you haven't been to Adelaide for a little while. It's... <laughs> It's certainly evolved since then. Let me tell you, it's the number one city in the country now for smart cities technology. Really? Uh, it's the city where Tesla is conducting their Australian and Southeast Asian trials. Um, the, the government of South Australia is probably at the fore in terms of attracting uh, tech talent and particularly smart cities and smart utilities tech to the state. Uh, and it's probably up to about 1.3 million or thereabouts people as well. Wow. So a lot, a lot has happened. <laughs> and I'm from Adelaide, and I've been going 15 oh, well, years. And sometimes, go. I can, I, sometimes I can barely recognise it when I go back. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've got very fond memories of, of, of Adelaide, but um, it never struck me as a um, really happening technology place. I'm glad that it is. That's fantastic. Um, are there incentives from the government to go there and set up um, technology businesses? A absolutely. In fact, we, uh, you know, we, we joke about Adelaide and, of course, my, my uh, you know, growing up there was uh, it assumed to be a factor, but in fact, no. When we announced that we were listing on the ASX and that the company was going to open an, an office in Australia, uh, all the state governments bar one reached out to us asking us to put our office in their in their cities. Sure. Uh, and in fact, it was South Australia that were the most aggressive and had the the you know the, the best deal. Frankly, they have an agency set up purely to attract um, companies such as ours to the state. Um, they have resources to apply, and they have you know the ability to help introduce and bring business to the company as well. So it's been a phenomenal result for us. Um, the federal government also has. Uh, a number of rebates, uh, which make it incredibly attractive for us to conduct R&D in Australia. So, in fact, it's, it's actually the case that we can hire and staff and grow the company in Australia cheaper than we can in you know places that traditionally are very cheap, such as India, uh, parts of Southeast Asia, parts of Eastern Europe. 
Yeah, that, that's interesting because um, I've got a friend who's got a, um, a technology business that was based in Sydney, was, was actually based in the central coast in Sydney, and they had to come over here and they've opened an office in Texas and since they've done that, they've gone through the roof, where in Australia they couldn't raise funds, they couldn't get traction, they, they just went nowhere. Um, yep. Yep. So what are the biggest considerations when companies out there are um, evaluating the Internet of Things? Is there any trick to it? Is there any anything they need to look out for particularly? You know, I think the biggest thing that, that organisations have to think about is there is a tremendous amount of hype around the IoT right now. And I would say the, you know, the hype curve is way ahead of the reality curve. Right. So what we invite customers to do is really think hard about an outcome versus, you know, I have to be in, on the IoT, I have to be connected, I have to be involved in, you know, in this ecosystem. And it's really more about what's the, the value that we're trying to, uh, to, to derive and what is it that we are trying to, uh, to achieve. Right. And that really comes down to a couple of, couple of questions. First of all, does it make sense for me to build uh, my implementation versus buy? Does it make sense for me to plug the data that I'm getting from this ecosystem into whatever systems I have today, or am I you know, creating new systems? So a, a number of decisions being made, but the key thing is what is the outcome that I'm trying to, uh, to, to, to get to? What am I trying to learn? Am I trying to make more money? Am I trying to save money? Or am I trying to get smarter about something? They're usually the three sort of axes that we have this, this conversation on. Yeah, well, there's no question the opportunity is extraordinary. I mean, just if you, you think about it in, in a regular household, how many um, appliances and, and tools can be can be linked to the Internet of Things, it's staggering. Exactly right. It's a huge, huge volume of data, and it's something that you can't just sort of dip your toe in and, uh, and not be deluged <laughs> unless you have some sense of, of, of what it is that you're trying to measure. Of course, we can help with that. That's what we do, but um, it's something to think about as you're entering the space. So, what was the, what were the biggest challenges that you faced in setting up the company? Well, lots and lots of uh, of hiring um, uh, competition here in Seattle is a big one. You know, there's a lot of folks that are looking to hire amazing talent, and and when you're building a tech company, that's the, the bedrock of the company. Sure. Um, you know, it, it is said that within roughly ten miles radius of where we are in Seattle, there's of the order of three hundred thousand cloud developers. Uh, and you better believe there's, there's that many or more cloud development jobs uh, between Microsoft, between Google, between Twitter, Amazon, Hulu, Uber, all these guys are up here. Um, and so there is uh, tremendous competition. Um, I think, you know, we've talked about the funding side of things. That's always a challenge for, for early stage startups. But frankly, staying sort of, well, finding your focus and, and really, you know, keeping the focus on what it is that you're trying to achieve uh, is a challenge for any startup, and uh, you know it's very easy as engineers and technologists to get distracted by the next hot thing or the next shiny ball, as it were. Yeah. Uh, keeping that focus and and uh, keeping the team focus is always a big challenge as well. So, what what are you going to do with the um, new capital from the relisting? Where do you go from here? Well, we've already opened uh, the office in Australia that we we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, we have made it very clear to shareholders that we intend to invest very aggressively in what we're calling a land grab. Um, you know, I've, I've said to, uh, to investors and to, to folks in the space 
there could be 10 buddies that compete with us that do exactly what we do, and we, there still wouldn't be enough uh, of what we do to accommodate the demand that we're seeing coming. So sure. uh, it's an enormous space. We're in a land grab situation. We're out there to service as much uh, volume of data and as many devices as we possibly can. So we're investing very heavily in our engineering team. We're investing very heavily in uh, sales and marketing. Yep. Um, but, you know, it's, it's people. Um, although as a business, we scale pretty well when it comes to people. Uh, most cloud businesses do. Um, but certainly it's technology, it's, uh, it's people, and it's getting the word out. So who's the business person in the world that you most admire? Well, I'm a huge fan of Bill Gates. Uh, that may not come as a surprise, given no, that you know, where I used to work, and uh, and I've had a you know I've been fortunate enough to have some interactions with him and and seen you know seen him close up, so that's that's been an incredible opportunity. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Elon Musk. Yeah. Um, I think I think these days you know the we're well past the days where the status quo is enough. You know, yeah, breaking sure. the status quo, disrupting the status quo, well, uh, is a new black. <laughs> And that's and that's Musk who's to a T, right? Yeah. Um, so you know, to the extent that, that folks can come in, have the courage to say, look, this is broken, and I'm going to you know fix it, or even if I have to force a fix, I'm going to fix it. Um, I have incredible respect for those folks. Yeah, I agree. Dave, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really appreciate. It. It's good to speak to another Aussie, um, and. Uh, there's a lot of us here, so it's not hard these days. Now, you can learn more about Dave and Buddy by going to buddy, B-U-D-D-Y dot com. That's buddy, B-U-D-D-Y dot com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Bob Pritchard, straight talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. This week, we're broadcasting from our new studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment. Now, if you've missed any of the last 250 or so shows, you can go to bobpritchard.com and go up into the navigation bar, click on radio, and there's all of the shows for the last five years, plus, uh, I don't know, 250-odd interviews. So, um, and all sorts of very important, very powerful, very wise people that you can get a lot of information from. So just go to bobpritchard.com, go to the navigation bar, go to radio, and you can listen to them all, every show, at your leisure. 
Now, over the past 10 years, I've worked with startups and early-stage companies to help entrepreneurs develop and run successful businesses. Prior to that, for a whole lot of years, I worked with um, major corporations, Fortune 500s, a lot of them. And uh, about 10 years ago, I decided that I should give something back. So um, it was the time for me to start working with startups and early stage companies. And it's been very rewarding, I must say. So this radio show is about um, providing news, information, and tips that can help you succeed in your business. You know, entrepreneurs need to wear a lot of hats. You know, you need to be a developer, you need to be a manager, you need to be an HR person, you need to be a financial whiz, you need to be a marketer, you need to be a social media expert, you need to be a whole range of things. And uh, it's very difficult. So entrepreneurs need to wear so many hats and we all can't be great at everything. So what we try to do here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and in my business, Market Force One Business Strategies, we um, we help you identify the gaps in your expertise and plug them. So um, that's what we're about. And new research shows that the failure rate of all businesses now is about 96%. So nine and a half out of every 10 businesses fail. And the failure rate of startups is even higher than that. So it's very competitive out there. And you really need to keep on top of all of the latest developments and certainly digital and social media. And research identifies that the major reason that businesses fail is the lack of business knowledge of management. What's extraordinary to me is that only 11% of management, 11% have done any business courses or indeed any learning since they finished college. And that's despite the incredible changes that have taken place over the past few years. Most managers and business owners surprisingly, don't even go to conferences, you know, so they get in their business and they don't venture out the door and everything's changing around them and they're doing the same old stuff over and over again and then wonder why they're not successful. I recently spoke to a group of a couple of hundred business owners and I ask him a very simple question. How many of you are really just working for wages? You're busting your ass, you're playing other, ple- other people, and at the end of the day, really all you've got is wages. And 80% of the room put their hand up. No, 80% of the room are working for wages. Now, extensive research and studies of thousands of companies have identified 18 keys to the success of any business. And this is as a minimum. And to be successful, business leaders must have a good understanding of each of these keys. Now, none of them are rocket science, and no one's saying that you have to be an absolute expert at all of these 18 keys, but you really need to have a handle on them. 
You need to be able to look at your business, look at your business strategy, look at your business plan, look at your implementation and understand where the holes are. And, you know, most businesses can't do it. Um, Most business plans are hopelessly inadequate. Um, I was just sent a business plan a few minutes ago by a company. And while it's reasonably comprehensive in the stuff that it covers, it doesn't cover a fraction of what is needed in a business plan to be able to tackle the world and and know that you're going to be successful. It um, barely skims the surface. So that's a major problem. Over the past six weeks, we've discussed the first 16 of the keys that you need to be successful. And today we address the final two keys. Now, number 17 is to really get a handle on how to use new media. It's extraordinarily powerful and it's the future of not only marketing but running your business. You know, your your office needs to be technology-driven. Your distribution system needs to be technology-driven. Your manufacturing needs to be technology-driven. The communication with your customers and your sales reps and everyone else needs to be technology-driven. So... To do that, you really need to have a handle on it. And key number 18 is to have passion, commitment, and dedication. Wake up in the morning and be really enthusiastic and passionate about your business because without that, you will fail. So rather than me repeat the 18 keys now, if you go to my website, which as I mentioned before is bobpritchard.com, Click radio on the navigation bar. You can hear the discussion about the complete 18 keys over the past five weeks. So that's the easiest way to go and you can stop and start and take notes and whatever. Now, when many people think about social media, they think about Twitter, Facebook, possibly Instagram. However, social media is much more than this. There's no question that Facebook is the most powerful tool, even becoming the new internet. But each of the social media channels attracts a different type of audience and can be used in different ways and be very effective. For example, we all probably remember when major retail catalogues were hundreds of pages thick and were delivered to individual households at a cost of millions of dollars. In 2013, J. Crew launched their 2013 catalogue on Pinterest at a fraction of the cost that they used to spend. 1888Hotel offers free rooms to clients with 10,000 Instagram followers. You just need to take photographs, get them out there, you get a free room. We all remember Oreo cookies and the power of Facebook with their Super Bowl, you can still dunk in the dark, which which received extraordinary global exposure. Coca-Cola achieved great success with their Unlock the Secret formula promotion on YouTube simply by clicking on the bottle. So we've covered Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Now, the men's clothing store Bonobos ran a retweet incentive on Twitter, which resulted in a 1,200% return on investment. 
Taco Bell scan QR codes promotion resulted in 270,000 music downloads. And Scotty P's hamburger sent mobile coupons by SMS with a 12% response and a 1,650% ROI. Now, my favourite's the Tesco promotion, which on, multi on multiple interactive screens and underground walkways, underground walkways stations replicates the shelving in their stores. Commuters on the way home simply order by touching their mobile phones to the appropriate image, eggs, milk, rump steak or whatever, and it's waiting for them when they get home. Now, these simple examples demonstrate how every social media channel can be utilised to market and promote your products at a cost that's infinitely less than traditional media. So key number 17 is critical for everyone in business. You must have a solid grasp of digital media. And the final key to being successful is to have passion, commitment and determination. You know, you may be good at what you do, but today good is not good enough. The reality is that it's tough out there. Your competitors are also getting better at what they do. Success is not easy. If it was easy, everyone would be successful. It's not easy to climb Mount Everest or to win a gold medal or to succeed in business. You know, we're always striving to achieve no matter who we are, we're always trying to do a little bit better. If the Swedish team in the Winter Olympics had improved just 2%, they would have won every single gold medal. They actually won none. So the difference between winning every gold medal and none was just two lousy percent. So send in your questions. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Google+. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We're pleased to have been bringing you this show since 2011. If you're a regular listener and you're benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. In the meantime, remember, if you're not really pushing the envelope and if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much fucking space. You know, it's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard. I look forward to your company again next week when I will again broadcast from our new studio on Hollywood Boulevard where technology meets entertainment. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.